Hey, what's up, guys? If you don't know me, my name is Aiden Corley. I'm here every week, but I'm usually up here with the worship team. And just because I think it's good to be honest about where you're at, I'm always comfortable to be up in the worship team because when something goes wrong, you can always blame it on somebody else. But when you're up here by yourself, you're so exposed. <laughs> I feel so exposed and open because you're all looking at me and I don't know how to feel about it. But I am really excited uh, to be here with you guys today. We are in the middle of a series in the book of Hebrews. How many of you here were last week for Pastor Mateo's message on Hebrews? A few of you, quality, the good, the faithful. If you guys remember, as we're talking through Hebrews, Hebrews is a book that was written to Christians who were ready to give up. They were tempted on giving up on Jesus. They were tired. They didn't want to run the race anymore, like my man up here with the massive farmer's tan. They didn't want to run. <laughs> they didn't want to run the race anymore. They were getting tired. So the letter of Hebrews is a letter of encouragement to keep running the race. It's a letter to keep going. If you don't remember, last week Pastor Mateo talked about the simple but really important point that Jesus is God. Everybody say Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And that's the foundation for the whole book of Hebrews. Everything he talks about rests on the fact of who Jesus is. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to read the word of God together. I'll pray. I'll say a couple things for about 30 minutes and then we'll worship together and be done. Does that sound good? Can you stand with me? If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and read along. If you don't, it's okay. It'll be on the screen. We're going to read a whole 13 verses in a row without a break. 13. It's good for you. This might be a longer section of scripture than you're used to, but I promise it's good for you. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Let's read together. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Everybody say, enter the rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Everybody say, enter the rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he, the Lord, appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, everyone say, enter the rest. Has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. One more time, everybody say, enter the rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Crane. 
Can we pray together? <laughs> Lord Jesus, Lord, we welcome you here. Lord, I just ask that you would make us attentive to your word today. Lord, I ask that for every tired soul here, for everyone who is restless, for everyone who is seeking rest, Lord, I ask that, Lord Jesus, you would bring us rest tonight. That we would encounter you, the living God. Lord, I ask that as I speak, Lord, that any word that is not from you would fall flat to the floor, but that your word would pierce the hearts of those who hear, and that we would leave here tonight not just having heard uh, some good words, but having met with you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Would you come and have your way? In Jesus' name. Everybody said? You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. This is, you might have realized from just reading, a really complicated passage. Mateo asked me a while back if I wanted to preach this week, and I said, sure. And then he said, can you preach this passage, Hebrews 4? And I read it, and I texted Mateo, and I said, I have no idea what any of this means. I have no idea. How am I supposed to preach on it? I have no idea what this passage means. It's complicated. But one thing you might have noticed is there's a word that he says over and over. Does anybody know what it is? Rest. He says, just in those 13 verses, he says the word rest 10 times. It's about rest. And not only does he say rest, he says we must enter the rest. A couple months ago, I, uh, I went to the doctor because I was tired. And yes, I know how weird that sounds. But I went to the doctor because I was tired. I showed up and I had been falling asleep at my desk at work. I would be on the way to work in the morning and I'm like, I just can't stay awake. I must be sick. Never mind the fact that I was only sleeping for like four hours a night, but I thought surely something is wrong with me. I can't stay awake. I'm so tired all the time. And you guys know when you go to the doctor, you have to fill out that sheet of like what's wrong with you. And it asks, it's like, do you have a sore throat? Well, no. Do you have a fever? No. Is your stomach sick? Well, no. And the only thing I can mark off is I'm tired. And just like you guys are probably thinking, the doctor walked in and he goes, let me get this straight. You came to me because you want to sleep? <laughs> you came to me because you're tired? Why are you here at the doctor? And I said, yeah, man, like something's got to be wrong with me. Can you run a test? Can we do something? I just keep falling asleep all the time. And he left and he ran some tests and he came back. And he said, let me tell you what you need. He said, leave here and go to bed. <laughs> you need rest. He says, you need rest. And I had allowed myself to believe. I was running off of like four hours of sleep a night. And I had believed, I'd started to tell myself, I don't need rest. I can operate in two jobs. I can operate in school. I can operate in all the things I'm doing in church. And I just don't need rest. And I needed somebody because I'm really stubborn and I don't learn things quickly. I actually needed a doctor to look me in the eyes. And he says, dude, you need rest. And most of you guys are probably smarter than me in that you don't go to the doctor when you're tired. You just go to sleep <laughs> like a smart person. But I think we all recognize that we need rest. I think <coughs> you don't have to be a genius to realize that your generation, our generation, is some of the most restless generation we've ever had. Where if you ask anybody all the time, it's like, bro, how's life? How are you doing? The answer that you always get, and it's so boring, but it's true, is I am tired. I'm tired, and we all need rest. But instead of finding rest, we're always, even when we get home from work and school, we're trying to keep up on social media. We're scrolling on our phones. We don't know how to rest. And what the author of Hebrews is getting after is he's saying there's actually only one way you can find rest, and it's not what you think it is. He's trying to point us the way to rest. Now, when we think about Hebrews, I think Hebrews as a whole, there's two things we got to think about, teach you for a second. There's the warning and the promise. Everybody say the warning, the warning. and the promise. Everybody say the warning. 
and the promise. Promise. What the author of Hebrews is always after is he gives us both of those things. See, when we think about life, a warning without a promise, that's kind of worthless. A warning without a promise is just saying, don't do this. This is bad for you. I'm just trying to scare you. I'm just warning you, saying, don't do this. It's dangerous. But a warning without a promise doesn't do us any good. But a promise without a warning is giving you the good news without letting you know about the fact that you might actually be able to miss it, right? If I say, hey, good news, there's a promise here, but I'm doing you a disservice if I don't give you the warning saying, but if you're not careful, you can miss the promise. Are you tracking with me? The warning and the promise. So as we look at rest today, it's our God statement for tonight, is Jesus gives rest. Jesus gives rest. And as we think about the warning and the promise, I want to walk us through we start off with the warning about rest, and then we move to the command that God gives about the rest, and then the promise about the rest. So we'll talk about the warning, the command, and the promise, and then we'll come to worship together. So we start off with the warning. The warning he gives is do not fall away. The author of the Hebrews, the warning, he says, do not fall away. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, we just read it. It says, therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, there's the promise, the promise of entering the rest. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. From verse 1, we see a promise, entering his rest, and the warning. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. We're missing a little bit of context. This is connected to chapter 3 in Hebrews. And I thought about reading chapter 3 and 4, but I already made you guys stand for a really long time at the beginning, and I didn't want to go twice as long. But if you look at Hebrews chapter 3, he's talking about the Hebrew people in the book of Exodus. If you've ever read, if anybody has read the Exodus story, or if you've watched King of Egypt, Prince of Egypt, King of Egypt, what's the name? Prince of Egypt, thank you. If you've watched that movie, you know the story. God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. He comes, he delivers them from their time as slaves, and then they're wandering in the wilderness looking for rest. Everybody say, looking for rest. For 40 years, God sets them free, and they're wandering in the wilderness looking for rest, but they never found it, the author of Hebrews tells us. The people of Israel never actually found rest. They were looking for land, for a place to call home where they could rest, but they never found it. God had brought them out of Egypt because of the 10 plagues. If you remember, he delivers them through these 10 miraculous and crazy plagues, like frogs everywhere and all sorts of and water turning to blood. It's crazy stuff. But then he does that. And not only that, they leave Egypt and he splits the Red Sea in two. Does anybody remember this story? He splits the Red Sea in two. And not only that, you guys, I don't know if you know what manna is, but as they're wandering in the wilderness looking for rest, God makes bread fall from the sky. Like, do you guys hear me? I'm sorry, am I the only one who thinks that's cool? God made bread fall from the sky while they're out in the wilderness. They're walking around. Bread actually falls from the sky. That's how he's feeding them where there's no food. He's taking care of them this whole time. But as they wander in the wilderness, they don't trust God's provision. They actually turn against him. They're out there, and even as they're eating said bread that fell from the sky, they look at the Lord and they say, Moses, is the Lord among us or not? We're not so sure that he's here. Even in Numbers 20, the people look right at God and they say, have you brought us out here to die? God has been pr providing for them this whole time. He brought them out of Egypt. He's bringing them into rest. But they forget his promises and they stop trusting him. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19, if you go look at it, it's not on the screen. But it says, they missed out on the rest because of their unbelief. 
They didn't believe God's promises, so they didn't find rest. And their unbelief led to disobedience, and they never found rest. So all that is background. When we get to Hebrews chapter 4, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. He's saying, just like God promised rest to Israel, he's promised rest to you and I. But just like Israel's unbelief led them to miss the rest, we can miss the rest too. That's the warning. You and I can miss the rest. And he's talking about spiritual rest that God gives in the gospel, right? In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, the good news came to us just as it did to them. In verse chapter 3, it says, we who have believed have entered that rest. So if you've believed in Jesus, if you've believed the gospel, the rest that is available, you have found. Whenever I'm talking about rest, I'm not just talking about like taking a nap or a Sabbath day, although praise God for naps. Can I get a witness? Somebody. But we're talking about deeper rest. He's saying if you have believed in Jesus, you have found that rest. And there is no rest outside of belief in Jesus. But here's the warning. Just like Israel was promised the rest and they gave it up, you and I can give that rest up. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians. The book of Hebrews is written to people like you and I who are already following Jesus, who are already running after him, who have received the gospel as a free gift. The gospel is a free gift. And yet somehow he's saying you can forfeit God's rest. What God wants to give you, you can actually walk away from it. You can give it up. Just because you believed once is not a guarantee that you make it into the rest. And it's heavy, but he's saying you've all been saved by God, just like Israel was. You've all been brought out of your slavery, but if you're not careful, you can miss the rest that God has for you. So that is the warning. The warning, don't fall away. Don't miss out on the rest. And I know that's heavy, but remember what we talked about earlier. If we don't hear the warning, then we can't fully hear the promise. If we don't hear the warning... We can't fully hear the promise. So the warning is, don't fall away because you might miss out on God's rest. But he doesn't actually leave us to figure out how to do that on our own. So we move from the warning to the command. The warning, the command. And the command is strive to enter the rest. Everybody say strive to enter the rest. Say it like you're not so sad about it. Say strive to enter the rest. There we go. So good. I know it's heavy. I promise we're moving up from here. I get it. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive to enter the rest. Doesn't that feel a little backwards? What does strive mean? It means to work hard. It means to work. And he's saying work hard to enter the rest. Doesn't that seem backwards? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? You've got to work really hard, strive, so that you can rest. I, I think sometimes in church, we've made strive like a bad word. I remember we used to sing a worship song all the time that said, there is no striving in the love of God. And it was such a beautiful song, and I love playing it, but I just think the Bible would disagree. <laughs> I just think the Bible would disagree. It says, there's no striving in the love of God. There is Striving. Now, when people say that, if they say there's no striving with Jesus, if what they mean is there's nothing you can do to earn God's love, there's nothing you and I can do to earn God's favor, then they are right. That's true. 
But if what they mean is that we just get to walk into the kingdom without it requiring anything of us, if what they mean is that once you've believed in Jesus, it doesn't require any effort, <laughs> once you've followed Jesus, it won't demand anything of you, then we've missed it. We've missed it. That's not possible. If we have entered, if we believed in Jesus, the gift is free, but it will cost us in the end our whole lives to follow Jesus. It's a paradox. Think about it. Strive, the word in that verse there that's translated as strive. Let me teach you a Greek word. It's called spudazo. Everybody say spudazo. spudazo. Say it like you really mean it. Say spudazo. I said that like I'm an Italian. I don't know. It's a, it's a Greek word, but I feel like I did. I feel like it was this, right? It was, it was this thing. It's spudazo. But spudazo is the Greek word there for to strive, and it means this. It means to do something quickly, to do one's best, to make every effort, to be eager. Somebody say to be eager. To be eager, to be excited, to make every effort, to make my highest priority is what striving is. If you think about it, we do this in every area of our lives that we care about. I'm a musician, and if I want to be a good musician, I'm going to strive to do that well. I watch Braden, she's be strive to become a good guitar player, and he's doing it really well. I watch people strive in relationships. I watch people strive to become the best athlete, right? If something's important to us, we will strive to get better at it. We will strive to improve it. We will make every effort. We will be eager. So how is striving connected to rest? I think there's a helpful quote for me by a guy named Dallas Willard. We have that on the screen. Dallas Willard. I love this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace is not opposed to effort. Not at all. But it is opposed to earning. Because earning is an attitude and effort is an action. When we talk about striving to enter the rest, what I'm not talking about is earning God's favor. That if you just prove yourself hard enough, God will finally say, here's my rest for you. That's not what it is. But it does require effort to be near to Jesus. God is not asking us to earn his rest. We just read in verse 3, it says, we who have believed, we who have trusted in Jesus have entered God's rest. God is not asking you to earn his rest. What he is asking you to do is to make sure you don't drift away through forgetfulness like the Israelites did, through bitterness, through forgetfulness saying, we're tired of waiting on God to fulfill his promises, so I'm going to go look for rest somewhere else. What he's asking you to do is to not drift away in the wilderness. It is not God waiting up in heaven for you to make a mistake so that he can take his rest from you. It's not like he's holding it out and he's like, come on, here's my rest, here's my rest. Oh, Braden missed his quiet time this week. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> right? Oh, Luke, Luke missed church this week. No more rest for you. <laughs> That's not what he's doing. What he is doing, right, he's not waiting that. He's warning us because we are the ones who are so prone to walk away. We are the ones who are so prone to abandon God. Are you tracking with me? God will not abandon you. The biggest danger in our lives is not that Jesus will walk away. Literally, a few chapters later in Hebrews, God makes a promise and he says, never, never means, never will I leave you or forsake you. Never. The, the, the thing that we should be worried about in our spiritual lives is never, ever that Jesus will walk away from us. What we should be worried about 
is that we're the ones who walk away. That is possible. <laughs> and that does happen. And it happens when we do what the Hebrews in the wilderness did and what every Christian has done since. We start to look for rest in every place except for Jesus. And what happens in that process, I promise you, friends, this is what happens, I've seen it happen, is that you begin to forget who Jesus is, and you walk and you turn away to other gods. You do not have to be afraid that Jesus will ever turn you away. One of my favorite verses, John 6, says, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. Whoever comes to me, I will never turn them away. If you come to Jesus, I, it's a gospel promise that he will not turn you away. But if you stop coming to him and run, that's what the warning's about. That's what we want to make sure does not happen, where we go after idols and we forget Jesus. That's exactly what the Israelites did in Exodus. They got tired of waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promises. They stopped believing that God would provide what he said he would. And their unbelief led them to walk away and go after other gods. And that's what kept them out of the rest. Missing God's rest is not a punishment for screwing up. It's what happens when we stop going to him and we look for other gods and walk the other way. You tracking with me? I think we do this all the time, actually looking for rest. We all want the rest that comes, for example, from being loved. It's a really restful feeling to be loved by somebody. It's a feeling that God offers us to be loved. But when we're tired of looking for it from God, we may look for it in the boyfriend or the girlfriend, and we look and we seek out love that way, and all of a sudden that becomes where our attention lies. Or maybe if it's been too much work to go after a boyfriend or a girlfriend, we find it in things like pornography. We find it in things like on the internet that we go after looking for love. We all want rest that comes from being accepted. That's a good feeling, and it's good to want to be accepted. But when we don't know how to find that in the community of God, when we don't know how to find acceptance in who Jesus is, what do we do? We begin trying to prove ourselves in things like sports, in things like relationships, maybe in things like church, by trying to prove that I'm the best person on the worship team, I'm the best small group leader, you fill in the blank. When we can't find acceptance in God and the rest that that brings, we look for it in all the wrong places. A personal one for me is instead of finding rest with Jesus each day, going to him, I look for rest here. <laughs> I look for rest and endless reels and scrolling, and I just think that if I just watch enough, that if I just sit and game enough or watch enough, like surely the pain will go away and I'll just numb myself, and then, I, then that, that'll make me not feel so tired anymore. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about is Jesus promises rest, and when we think other things provide rest, what happens? Jesus didn't go anywhere, but I slowly start moving away and away and away as I search for rest in other things. You dragging with me? So, hear me. I know I've said it, but I need you to hear me so clear. God will never walk away from you. God is not waiting on one more mistake for, you to, for him to abandon you. That will not happen. But what can happen and what I've seen happen is people stop trusting Jesus, that he'll fulfill his promises, that he said he would, and we begin to walk away. I've seen it happen so many times, and we're not immune from it, not a single one of us. So the work of the Christian life, the way that we strive, everybody say strive, to enter the rest, is to do everything we can to make it our highest priority to stay close to Jesus. Trying with me? That's how, is, how do we strive to enter the rest, is we don't earn God's rest, but we make it our highest priority to stay 
as close to Jesus as possible. And the good news is, Jesus is eager to be near to us. Very, very eager to be near to us. So we have the warning, don't fall away. We have the command, strive to enter the rest. And here's the good stuff. We have the promise. Jesus gives rest. The promise. Jesus gives rest. Should have one more. Or the command. That should say the promise up there, but that's okay. The promise. Jesus gives rest. Let's read chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This is a good verse to commit to memory, by the way, if you are a scripture memorizing type. And if you're not, I highly recommend it. Starting in verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's so good, I'm going to read it one more time. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Everybody say discerning. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What you might be wondering is, how does he make such a sharp turn? We're talking about rest, we're talking about rest, 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 and then all of a sudden we're talking about the word of God. It's a really sharp turn. When I first read the passage, I'm like, I don't see how this is connected at all. So how, how can the word of God be connected to rest, you're asking? How does this have anything to do with the rest that we're talking about? And I'm so glad you asked. I'd be happy to explain it to you, <laughs> how it's connected. Here's why. God's rest comes through the work of God's word. God's rest comes through the work of God's word. Just follow me here for a second. If you're not tracking, it'll make sense in a second. At least I hope it will. He starts off saying, God's word is like a sword. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. What's he saying? He's saying a sword cuts us right open. What does a sword do? It gets to the heart of things. Now when he talks about the word of God, what I think he's talking about is all of the ways that God speaks to us. Matteo talked about last week, Hebrews chapter 1, talks about Jesus being the word of God. So what we see in Jesus, that's how God speaks to us. What we see the work of the Holy Spirit in prayer, in worship, when the Holy Spirit ministers to us, that is the word of God. And lastly, the Bible. Everybody say the Bible is the word of God. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but if you want to hear God speak to you, God speaks in many ways, but his preferred, most often, and clearest way is through his written word. His preferred and clearest way that he speaks is through his written word. So when, Jesus, when God speaks to us through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and through his word, that is the word of God that is sharper than any double-edged sword that cuts right to the heart of us. He's saying it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's saying when God speaks, if you and I are listening, he cuts through all the walls we put up, he cuts through all of our lies and our nonsense, and he sees right into what's actually going on in our heart. I think about, when I think about a knife, a knife can be a terrifying or a beautiful thing. 
Uh, if somebody who doesn't know how to handle a knife, like probably some of you, starts walking towards me with a knife, I want you away from me. <laughs> I don't want you anywhere. I don't want any of you anywhere close to me with a knife ever. <laughs> but if I am sick and I need surgery, and a surgeon comes to me with a knife, that's exactly what I want to see. It's exactly what I want to see. Why? Because somebody who knows how to use a knife, somebody who knows how to use a blade, cuts us open. And he begins to cut out everything that's harming us. Cut out everything that's harming us. How many of you guys are, uh, are Chronicles of Narnia people? <laughs> yeah, come on. There's, I love, uh, worship team, you guys can come up whenever you're ready. Um, there's a story in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. One of those. Did they make a movie about that one? Did they? I, I never saw that one. Sorry, I know, I'm giving myself away. But there's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's this kid named Eustace, which, by the way, I, by the way, I do think that uh, if Pastor Victor and Prem are still looking for baby names, that Eustace is a quality, quality option. Baby Eustace, before too long. <laughs> but there's a kid named Eustace in this story. And what happens to Eustace is he ends up getting tricked into kind of like selling his soul. And he turns into a dragon. <laughs> he's a young kid, and he turns into a dragon, and he's covered with all sorts of nasty scales all over him. And he sits down at a pool, and he tries to scrape all of the, the scales off of himself. He's trying to become a boy again, and he's ripping the scales off. And every time he does, they just grow right back worse. <laughs> and they're harder to get off, and it hurts more every time. And he's just like, I can't get these off of me, and he rips them off. And then Aslan, the lion, just happens to be strolling by as he does, and as God does. <laughs> and he comes by, and he looks at him, and he says, Eustace, you're going to have to let me take care of that for you. What he actually says, he says, Eustace, you're going to have to let me undress you. You're going to have to let me take those scales off of you. You can't do that yourself. And Eustace starts telling this story to some of his friends later, and he's describing it, and he said, when the lion put his first claw in, it cut right to my heart. It cut right to my heart, and it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt in my whole life. He said, it cut right to my heart, and it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. But then he said, as I started to look, the scales were actually coming off, and they weren't growing back. <laughs> and as it hurt so bad the first time, he said, all of a sudden, I began to feel light again. I felt like I could walk again. And then he says this, he says, and then I looked down, and I had become a human again. I looked down, and I'd become a human again. And what I'm suggesting to you, friends, is that the Word of God is kind of like that. The Word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it cuts us open. And when it first does it, it hurts like nobody's business, right? When the Lord cuts us open at first, when, when the Holy Spirit points something out to us through, as we read His Word, as, he, as we're in prayer, and He says, hey, son, have you ever realized that you're actually kind of prideful in this area? When he says things like, do you realize, Aiden, that every time you get around this person, you, you respond in an angry way? <laughs> hey, son, do you realize that I've been offering you rest, but you've been looking for it over here in this relationship or in this <laughs> job or in this addiction even? He cuts right to the heart of what's actually going on, <laughs> and it hurts so bad. <laughs> we say, Lord, no, don't go there. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that stuff. He cuts into us. But as we let the master surgeon, as we let him cut into us and expose what's going on in our heart, he takes out all of the things that are killing us. 
And what does he do? He gives us life in exchange. And we become human again. And that's what I'm suggesting to you, how we actually find the rest that Jesus gives. Is we have to allow ourselves to open, open ourselves up to his, his cutting, his exposing work. And it will be painful for a time. He'll expose things that we don't want to talk about. He'll bring up things that we don't want to see. But when you let him do it, you will find rest. My friends, hiding from Jesus will never bring rest. Hiding from the word of God that cuts right to your heart will never bring you rest. You'll always be restless when you're hiding things from Jesus. You have to let him see everything. But let me tell you, when you do, you will never find a deeper rest than when you allow Jesus to cut you open and see everything. Why? Because you'll be fully known fully seen by the only person who can heal you with no fear of rejection. Do you know what that's like for somebody to know every last thing about you and not be afraid at all that they're going to walk away from it? That's rest. You understand when you allow the word of God to cut you open and say, I see all of your sin worse, worse than anybody else sees, worse than even your closest friends see, but I see it and let me heal it. Let me take it from you. That's where you find rest. True rest, friends, is found in coming to Jesus. True rest is found in coming to Jesus. Jesus says, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Matthew chapter 11, if we have that back on the screen, 28 through 30. This is Jesus himself speaking to you, actually, right now. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. True rest is found in coming to Jesus, letting him cut you open, letting him see all the hidden things that we don't want anyone to see. And that invitation is wide open to you. And just really practically, friends, here's what that looks like. Jesus stands before you and I every day and he says, come to me, all you who are tired, all of you who are heavy laden from your anxiety, from your sin, from your fears, from your addictions, all of you who are carrying those things, come to me and I will give you rest. But here's the stipulation. You don't have to fix anything, but you've got to let him see it. You don't have to fix anything on your own, but you have to let Jesus see it. And just real practically, what does this look like? Every single day, it's coming to Jesus. How, how is rest found? It's coming with everything and just saying, here's my brokenness, Lord. Here's my fear of the future, Lord. Here's my addiction, Lord. Here's my depression, Lord. I don't want to hold it anymore. I'm tired of carrying this around. Here it is, heal it cut it open, take it from me, and give me your life instead. That's where life is found, is letting the word of God cut down to the deepest, darkest things that we don't want anybody else to see, to cut us wide open and to allow him to heal it. Friends, true rest is when you no longer have to carry the things that make you restless. If you're carrying sin, let Jesus see it all. And the only thing you'll get in return is forgiveness. If you're carrying anxiety, let Jesus cut you open and expose that. And all you will find in return is peace. If you're looking for approval, give up that desire to him and he 
will give it to you as your father. Friends, rest is found when we let Jesus take our burdens from us and give us life. Can we stand together? Friends, my desire for you is to find true rest in not having to carry your burdens anymore. I I know enough of you to know that you guys are carrying really, really heavy things. You're carrying heavy, heavy fear. You're carrying a lot of shame. You're carrying so many things that, that just make you restless all the time. And the only way you will find rest is not through self-help is not through trying harder. It's through just laying before Jesus and say, here it is, all of it, all the stuff I don't want anyone to see. Take it from me. Give me rest. And the last thing, I just, I wasn't going to say this, but as I was praying for you earlier today, in the same chapter we read at the beginning, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, he says this. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear the voice of Jesus, do not harden your hearts. And I think, not I think, I know that the Spirit of God is here right now. And I, I love the, one of my favorite verses, thank God. The Lord says he uses things as foolish as preaching, as foolish as some guy getting up here and sharing some random thoughts for the Spirit to come and to provoke. And I know that some of you are in this room right now and you feel the Spirit of God provoking, <laughs> provoking you to say, I want that rest. I want to find life. I'm tired of carrying my sin. I'm tired of carrying my shame. And I'm telling you, it'd be so easy to sing this song and then to go play Foursquare with your friends and forget about it. But by the Spirit of God, I can tell you that this is exactly what God's saying to you right now because it's there in His Word. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, but listen to Him. Let Him expose what's going on in your heart and come to Him. So friends, if you know Jesus, let Him give you the rest that you're promised. And if you don't know Jesus... What are you waiting for? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Today, if you hear his voice, friends, even for the first time, do not harden your hearts, but come to him and find life. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to go into song of worship, one of my favorite songs. The first verse says, Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, before you, surrendering, opening myself up to Jesus, I find my rest. So if you want to stay in your seat, if you need to spread out around the room and to to get away from maybe some who are distracting you or to get alone with Jesus, we're going to step into a time of worship. And my encouragement to you, friends, is to say, is to come before Jesus and say, Lord, here it is, whatever that thing is for you. Lord, here's my addiction. Lord, here's my shame. Lord, here's my fear of the future. Here's my anger at this person. Lord, would you expose it? Jesus, would you cut me open and would you exchange it for your life and give me rest?